Well, man, thank you, AJ, and you guys. Uh, it's so good to be in the presence of God and sing with his people, have our hearts encouraged by the truths of his faithfulness. If I uh, haven't had the chance to meet you, um, I, I'm still new enough here. There's probably always going to be new faces to me for a while. So uh, my name is Jason Durant, and I am blessed to be uh, the lead pastor of Dublin Bible Church. And if you are hanging out with us for the first time today or hanging out with the church for the first time in a long time, listen, we want you to know that we know getting up, making it to church, going in with a bunch of folks you don't know, we know that that is not easy. That wouldn't be easy for me. And so we just say to you, thank you for trusting us with your time. Thank you for trusting us with your thoughts about God. And, and we want to do our best to point you towards him and, and let us know if there's anything we can do for you while you're here. But uh, thanks for being here. Really quickly, before we jump into God's Word, kind of a, a family note, kind of a family thing I want to highlight really quickly is that some of you may or may not be aware of a ministry that exists in Dublin, uh, but if you're not, it's, it's called the Angel House, and uh, the Angel House is actually uh, a place for teenage girls, young women in crisis situations in their lives, some of them needing recovery and, and just different types of things, um, and they are a ministry that reached out to us, I guess, two or three weeks ago. And uh, they're, as I understand it now, I could be wrong, but as I understand it, kind of their whole ministry has had to been put on pause for a moment because they discovered uh, a pretty significant mold issue under the flooring uh, of the home that they use for their ministry. And so they were calling and asking and saying, listen, this is going to be a substantial expense and we're not asking you for all of it. We're just saying, can the church help at all? And it thrilled my heart as the new pastor here to, to kind of see the back workings of when that request was made, the immediate uh, impulse in the church was, yeah, let's do that. Let's figure out what we can do and let's do it. And so I just want to say to you that I want us to be a church that partners with ministries that are meeting real needs in people's lives. And it sounds like they're doing it. And so hopefully we're going to get to learn more and more about them. But we as a church were able to bless them and be a part of helping them get things up and running again. And so I just want to say thank you to you for being a giver um, a part of everything that you give through Dublin Bible Church goes towards helping people in needy spots in their lives and when they have moments they may not expect it. And I wanted you to know that you're doing an awesome job of that. I wanted you to hear me say thank you. And I wanted you to take joy in God letting us help some young women in our community. All right, so thank you so much for that. You're awesome and incredible. All right, it sounds like somebody's kind of half clapping over there. You can, whatever, I, 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 I was, you know... I, I was just putting my hands together, but we'll do it, whatever. I'm, I'm for a clap. Anytime you want to clap, you clap, all right? Um, today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6. If you are not uh, hadn't read in Hebrews recently, not familiar exactly where it is, you can just uh, kind of flip towards the back. It's closer to the back than it is the front in your Bible, or you can do what I do a lot of times and just look in the table of contents in the front. It'll tell you a page number. We're going to hang out in uh, the second half of Hebrews chapter 6. As you're turning there, I'll tell you uh, uh, one of the funnier moments, one of the moments we kind of giggle about as we think back on our family actually took place in my wife Jamie's family, her side of the family. It's when uh, she and I were earlier on in our relationship, it was many years ago, and uh, she was up visiting her grandparents in Paris, Tennessee. She was up visiting for a specific purpose that was not a really glad one was that her granddaddy, who was uh, in a, a care facility, his health had been declining for many years. He had a muscle degenerative disease, and he was near passing away. And so she had gone to visit in, in the hopes of getting to see him one last time. And she was able to see him. I was in Alabama, and she and I were talking on the phone. And she, uh, she said to me, she, she got a call. She, I'll call you back. She called me right back and said, 
hey, they just called and let us know. She was at her grandmother's house with her grandmother, and I believe her mom and sister were all there. That, that, that dad just called from the care facility, and he let us know that granddaddy has passed away. And I said, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so sorry. I know that's a hard thing. I said, you just don't worry about me. Go spend time with your family and just touch base whenever. Let me know how it's going. And so she left to go, and, and the ladies got together in the car and drove over to the care facility to see their dad and, and to spend time there remembering granddaddy Phillips. And she called me, though, a lot quicker than I was expecting to hear back from her. I thought they would spend some family time together for a good while, right, laugh, cry together as you typically do. Then eventually I'd hear back from her later that night. She, she called me actually pretty quickly, and she said, hey. And I said, hey. And she said, what are you doing? And she sounded kind of perky and kind of happy, and I was kind of like, well, this is kind of not what I was expecting, right? Like, I, I thought it'd be a minute. And I said, well, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, here doing my thing, but, but how is everybody there? Are y'all good? And and she started kind of like chuckling a little bit. And I was like what, is, what, like, what is this woman that I've fallen in love with that she's laughing in a time of loss, right? And she said, well, funny story. I said, okay. She said, uh, well, when my dad called my grandmother, you know, my grandmother can't hear very well. <laughs> I said, yeah. And Jamie's dad had the same muscular degenerative disease, so his speech was fading. It was hard to hear him sometimes. And so what he had said on the phone when he made the call to the house was to let the grandmother know that one of the, the granddaddy's friends had stopped by to see him, right? I, if I remember correctly, it was his friend named Homer, and what he had attempted to say to her is, Homer came by today, right? And what she heard was, Daddy just passed away, right? <laughs> and, and so in a great way, they got a great surprise, right? They show up walking in with, with tissues and tears dripping down their face, and he's there doing just as well as he was the day before, Right? Doing great, right? We love to laugh about that story. It's one of our favorite kind of family moments. But you see in that story that, that the loss of even just a couple of words reshaped the whole communication, right? The whole message was changed just by kind of losing two or three words there, and everything was different. The response was different. Everything changed. We're spending a few weeks together in this Bible study series that we're calling the same page because I believe that it's just as true and, and even more important for us to realize that when we drift from kind of some of the central meanings and understandings of what the Bible teaches us, we can wind up in a place that's much different than we thought, right? Some of us here today maybe are frustrated with God. Maybe you're here today and you're not even sure about the whole God thing. And maybe one of the reasons is that you know, living especially in the South, as many as us have most of our lives, we kind of tend to throw words out there. We, we use biblical terms and throw them out there, and we never really discuss what they mean, right? And so maybe you're here and you're jaded towards God, and maybe it's because, man, we haven't seen some of the core parts of, of Scripture correctly, right? And so we want to kind of unite our hearts around kind of the core tenets of faith and kind of dig into what does the Bible really say about some of these foundational concepts in Scripture, and praying that as we do that, God will bring us a refreshing clarity to our lives, right? The word we want to look at today is hope, right? Hope is a word that we use in our culture fairly often, but we, we don't use it in the same way that the Bible does. We say hope, and what we mean most of the time is either want or wish, when you're saying, I, I hope so-and-so is going to happen, what you're really saying is, is like, that's really what I'm wanting to happen. doesn't necessarily mean that you're thinking that will happen, right? Just that that's what you're wanting, right? Or it's some kind of almost like religious type of, type of 
to have a wish. Like, I, I know God, and, and this is what I'm hoping is going to happen, and so I'm kind of wishing he's going to do that. I'm trying to make sure I'm hoping in him. And, and what we're going to see today, I believe, is that hope is not just a desire, and that hope is not just a wish that we're kind of tossing up to grandfather God in the sky. Hope is so much bigger than that, and so much better than that. When we understand what hope is biblically, I would argue that hope is simply this. It's a confident expectation of good that's based in the character of God, right? So when the Bible talks about hope, when I see that word in my time of study as I'm spending time with the Lord and I see hope, I think that he's talking about a confident expectation within us, a confident expectation of good that's based on the character of God. I believe we're going to see that today in Hebrews chapter 6 to kind of give you some framework for what we're reading today. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is for certain. It's a little bit unique in that way, right? There are some good educated guesses, but we don't know for sure who God used, whose heart and hand he used to put this down for us. But what we do know is what it's about. It has a really central, united, easy-to-see theme running throughout the Scripture, and it's simply that Jesus is greater than dot, dot, dot. Jesus is greater than, right? You may be going, Jesus is greater than what? Well, Jesus is greater than ice cream, as good as it may taste. Jesus is greater than my favorite sports team, as good as they may be, roll tide, right? He, Jesus is greater than sin, of course. Yes, Jesus is greater than any and everything, but the, the message of Hebrews is more specific than that. The message of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater than any other way, the Old Covenant way, the Old Testament way, especially, of relating to God. That a relationship with God through faith in Jesus is far superior and greater than the Old Covenant way. And so what you see in Hebrews is the writer writing to the original audience, Jewish Christians. So they were believers in Jesus, but they understood all the Jewish tradition that we see in the Old Testament. He's writing to them, and God knew that it was also for us and the current readers, right, he's, he's picking apart for them this old covenant way of relating to God, which, by the way, was not a bad thing. It was prescribed by God. It was a good thing, right? And, and the Old Testament law even still has good purposes for us today, right? So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but he's taking it and he's dissecting it one strand and one piece at a time, and he's showing them Jesus is greater than that, right? Jesus is greater than any priest or leader, right? Like, like Moses, Abraham. He's greater than angelic beings or spiritual encounters and, and these mysterious types of moments. He's greater than that. It says in Hebrews that Jesus gives us a greater rest for our souls, that internally we can have a rest by trusting in Jesus that was not really available to those in the Old Covenant in the same way. Over and over again, he's showing us that Jesus is greater. Now in chapter 6, the main calling there is to persevere in our faith, right? To persevere forward in our faith because of the promise of who God is. And the first 12 verses really focus more on the urging, right, to persevere in our faith. The verses we're going to look at today, starting in verse 13, show us the reason for our perseverance, right? They give us the promise that would lead to our perseverance. That's what's going on. Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to read a few verses starting with verse 13. <coughs> it says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now, the author writing to Jewish Christians, he's, he's taking their focus back to a very specific, a very well-known foundational moment in the heritage of the Jewish faith, back when God was promising to Abraham that he was going to bless him with many descendants, right? As numerous as the stars in the sky or the, maybe the sands on the, on the ocean, right? He said, I'm, I'm going to bless you with a lot of descendants, right? The problem with that promise from God to Abraham in Abraham's mind that would have made that hard to believe is that Abraham and his wife Sarah were advanced in years. They were old, and so far they had not had a single child, not a single descendant. And God is promising, I'm going to give you all of these descendants, right? He said, God made this promise to Abraham. I want you to hear that, that God, when he's making this promise to Abraham, he's not just asking Abraham to trust him in some general sense. He's not just making him kind of vague promises of goodness. He's, he's speaking directly to the area in Abraham's life that would have probably been the most helpless, the most hopeless, the one that he would have the hardest time trusting in God. Right? This is not a, a fortune cookie promise, right? You ever eat at a, at a place and crack the fortune cookie open? It's like, you will succeed soon. And then you're pulling out of the parking lot and you make the light right before it turns and you're like, it's right, right? I made it, right? This is not a, a promise of just general good. Listen, it, it wouldn't be hard to have hope. It wouldn't be hard to have confident expectation of good because of the character of God in, in areas of our lives that were already richly blessed and we never really even questioned the provision, right? You probably don't have a hard time hoping in God that you're going to breathe in the next few minutes because you kind of just breathe and take in God's oxygen all the time, right? If you have always had a healthy bank account, you may not struggle to have hope that God will provide for you in material, physical ways for all of your needs, right? But, right, in the relationship that you've tried really hard to mend and fix, and all of your efforts seem to be pointless and producing nothing in that moment, right? In that specific hardship, right, in, in the plans for your future that you really strongly desire and want and you're hoping for and you're asking God for and you're not seeing any traction coming from that, right, that's where it's hard to hope. I want you to see in Abraham's life today and I want you to hear today because I think it'll help us make sense of what God is doing in some of the, the hardship in our lives. I want you to hear that God often cultivates hope in our limitations, in our inabilities, and in what we can't pull off and can't do and can't bring about, those are oftentimes the very places where God is supplanting in us. He's, he's birthing in us and, and growing in us a strong, sustained hope in his character that will provide rich blessing in our souls for the rest of our lives. Right? The very situations that we try to insulate ourselves from, right, and the, the gap between our desires and, and our outcomes that we're working hard to try to figure out how to finagle and fill, and then we're kind of praying in Jesus' name on the end of it so he'll bless it, right? Right, it's sometimes in some of those hardest moments that God is working to teach us and build hope in us. And so today, if you come and your head is hung a little lower internally than maybe it is externally, Maybe people don't know that you're feeling defeated or where your struggles are. Please hear this. Your struggles are real. They are sincere. I don't seek to make light of them, but I do seek to tell you that maybe, just maybe, God is active even there building hope in you. Right? Abraham, we're told in these verses we just read, 
It says that he waited patiently. He waited patiently on this promise from God, right? Now, if you know the story, if you go back and read it in Genesis, here's something that's interesting for me. It's, it's a little bit of a, of, of a corner. We have to figure out what the, what the rounding is for us to understand biblically because if you read in Genesis, Abram did wait, but he, but he also, after uh, some 11 years of waiting, he decided to kind of hijack God's plan, right? And, and he had a child with one of his wife's maidservants, remember, right? So here's what I want you to see in here. When I read that, hey, Abraham having thus patiently waited on the Lord, I was like, wait a minute, how patient was he, right? Like, was he really patient? Because it seems like he kind of tried to do his own thing. And I want you to make sure you hear this part, that because of his impatience in that specific moment, because of him hijacking God's plan, there's been tons of negative results for Abraham and for a lot of other people. So it's not that it didn't matter in that moment, right, that he wasn't faithful. What I want you to hear, though, and see is how much grace influences God's assessment of Abraham's patient faith and patient hoping. Even God, knowing that, that Abraham has tried to take this plan and do it his own way, right? Abraham did not wait perfectly, but God can still say gladly that he did wait patiently. And I just want you to hear that because if you're like me, right, the moment that you'll give up hope the quickest is the moment right after you've given up hope, you've misplaced it for a day or a night, right? You've put your hope somewhere else, and then all of a sudden you're tasting the results of that, and you're going, man, that was not what I needed to do. And it's easy in those moments to think, right, well, I can't return God. I can't give hope back to God because I just blew it right back there, right? Just please see in Abraham's life that God's grace reigns in his assessment of us because Jesus has already lived the perfect righteous life required for our sakes. God can deal with us, not as people who have to be perfect, but he can deal with us in, in lavish blessing even in moments where we're imperfect. Right? We're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for right, a regular certain path of hope in our lives. Even though Abraham stepped out in some points, for 25 years, for the most part, the, the overall aim of his life, the overall pattern in his life was that he waited patiently for God for 25 years. <laughs> See, hope sounds like a good thing that you want, and hope sounds like something flowery and exciting, and yes, hope, right? But what we've got to realize is that hope happens in every day waking up for years and not having that which you've hoped for yet, not understanding or not seeing yet that which God has promised. He wakes up for 25 years, and the Bible commends him and says he was patient in his hope, right? He was patient. May that be true of us. Why was he patient? I think there's a couple of reasons that we can see from the verses that we just read. First of all, right, because God of the universe made a promise to little, small, man, human Abraham. We need to be freshly in awe of the fact that the God who knows everything, including about everything rumbling around in Abraham's core, and he was human just like us. That same big, huge God is making promises to little people like us, right? That should humble us. <laughs> if you had some big celebrity that promised you something last week, I bet you'd be telling that story here today, right? You'd be telling people, I don't know who your favorite celeb is. I don't know, you know, what you guys all think about. I'm, I'm sure for Shane, it's some rock and roll guy, right? He'd be like, Bon Jovi told me, right? Like everybody be excited about it, right? Right, if, if that was you, if some millionaire had promised you that they're going to take care of this whole big strain of needs in your life, they're going to handle it, I bet you'd be finding ways to name drop, right? 
Hopefully not obviously. You're not just going to be the person walking around going, hey, did I tell you? Right? But you're going to be looking for the window to sneak into that window and go, hey, this is what happened in my life. Right? You're going to tell that story. Why? Because somebody of prominence has connected themselves and their blessings to you, and you're going, check this out. Right? Listen to this. The God that created everything makes promises to you and to me. And he has promised us good, and we may not understand it. It may not look like we thought it was going to look, but he has promised us good. Right? I believe that Abraham could be patient in his faith because he was faithfully in awe of the God that would promise to him to begin with. The Bible says that God did more than that. It says in these verses we just read, listen, when someone has a dispute and they're making a, a pledge, a promise, they often put an oath with it, right? They often promise based on someone else, right? Someone greater than themselves, right? I don't, I don't know if this happens in Georgia or not, but I remember clearly in Alabama growing up in elementary school, I, maybe it was around like fifth, sixth grade, fourth grade, somewhere in there. For some weird reason, all my friends and everybody started wanting people to swear on stuff all the time, right? I don't know if that happened for you, but you'd be like, hey, well, when we get to, uh, right, to the lunchroom, you can have my chocolate milk, right? I can have your milk? Yeah, you can have my milk. You promise? Yeah, man, you can have it. I don't want it. You swear? Swear on your mama's life. Be like, what? Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to swear on my mama about some milk. You're getting a little serious, right? Like, what is that, right? You have to do this swearing. You're pledging on something greater. You're going, I swear on my mom who I love very much, right, that you get to have my chocolate milk, right? right? You've seen in legal dramas on TV, right, and I don't think we do this practice anymore in the United States, but when you're going to testify in a court scene on TV, right, they'll put their hand on the scriptures, right, and they'll swear that they are going to tell the truth and nothing but the truth and the whole truth. The concept there is really a clarifying one for us is that, hey, listen, I'm swearing by my belief in this thing that I consider high, this thing that I consider important, this thing that I consider perfect. I'm swearing based on that that what I'm saying is going to be true. Now, get this. This is a total boss move by God. I love this about God, right? right? God is humble in his kingship towards us, but God is never hesitant to claim who he is. I love this. God says, hey, I'm going to make this promise to you, and I'm going to give it to you with a pledge or an oath. And so when it's time for me to swear by somebody else, I'm going to swear by the biggest person I know. I'm going to swear by the one who's the most faithful. I'm going to swear by the one who has the most power and can do anything that he pleases. I'm going to swear by me, myself. <laughs> God goes, man, it's, it's because of me that you can trust that this promise will come true. I don't have somebody bigger to swear by. I swear to you by me. Get this today if you don't hear anything else. God's proven character is the only reliable foundation for your hope. <laughs> God's proven character is the only reliable foundation for your hope. Right? You heard me speak earlier, I believe, and, and use the term of misplaced hope, right? It's, sometimes we're hoping for good outcomes and we're confidently expecting good things to come, but we're confidently expecting good things coming our way and, and based and founded on something completely different than God, right? I've worked really hard in my career, so I'm expecting the promotion, right? And listen, there's, there's a way in which I, th I think we can hope in God in that, right? That God would call us to work hard and expect that there would be blessing and benefit in that in different ways. That's great, but, but God is still the focus of that hope. That's why when we put our whole lives into making so much effort so that we can achieve this recognition or this position or whatever it may be, and then we don't get it, it feels like everything falls apart because we've invested our confident expectation of good solely in what we can 
do and accomplish. Abraham waited patiently for 25 years. We have a hard time waiting, don't we? Are you a good waiter? Some of you may be. I'm not, right? We have a hard time waiting when we text somebody and it takes longer than 90 seconds for them to text back, right? You ever done this? You can tell the truth, right? You text somebody and you know they've seen yours, right? Because those three little dots are dancing around at the bottom of the text screen. And you're like, not only did you see my message, you're starting to write something. And now all of a sudden, it's been a whole like three minutes and you haven't said anything back. What else could you possibly be doing? Right? I don't know. Raising my kids, right? Nature called. I don't, right? Like, there are things, right, that are important, right? But don't you feel that impatience? Listen, here's a good one, right? Are you ever really excited about waiting even more when you make it to the front of the drive through line and then they ask you to pull up some more? Do you love that? I can't, I mean, I'm just, I'm just being real. I'm a human like you. I have to talk to Jesus sometimes when that happens, right? I'm like, I did your process. I waited in the line. I waited as I ordered. I waited when I came and paid. And now I'm sitting and watching other people who are finished with your process ride by me sipping their milkshakes. What has happened, right? We, we don't like to wait, do we? And yet Abraham waited patiently for 25 years, confidently expecting good in the promise of God, specifically because it was God who had promised to him. This idea is going to be extrapolated out a little bit and shown to us a little more as we read 18. Verse 18 is flowing out of these ideas, and it says, because of these things, because of this promise, because of this oath from God, verse 18, God did that so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. See that, that the, the, the focus there is zoned out from just Abraham, and it's zoned out to more than him. It's zoned out to all of us who would hope in Jesus. It said to all the heirs of the promise. I want you to see this about this character of God that is worth sustaining your hope. It says in that verse that we just read that God is not just improbable that he would lie. It's not implausible that he would lie. Like, well, why would God, you know, really lie? Why would he need to, right? It's not just that it doesn't make sense that he would lie. It's not that it's like, hey, probably won't because he's usually good. Did you see what it said in this verse? I highlighted in your heart, it's impossible for God to lie. People go, hey, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up and throw it? I don't know, man. Like, you're worried about some, some stuff that doesn't really have a lot to do with my everyday, all right? But I do know that the Bible says that God's character is such that he cannot lie because it would be a violation of his character. If God has promised it to us in this word, it is coming about in one way or another. You have every reason to have good hope. It was a daydream of mine as as a high school student, that I wanted to dunk a basketball, right? Not, not like on one of those lowered goals like I had in my driveway, but on like a standard 10-foot basketball and go around. I, I wanted to get up there, and I didn't just want to dunk. I wanted to do it on somebody. Like I wanted somebody right here between me and the rim, and me just get up there and just make faces at them like I was angry and just just, yeah, just make noises and just slam it home hard and just right, just them feel how just, uh, I mean, I just thought about it all. I just wanted to do it so bad. Right? And of course, when they fell down because I slammed it so hard, I would get down in Christ-like humility and be like, are you okay, brother? And help them up. All right? Right? So 
don't think that wouldn't happen, right? But, but man, I wanted that so bad for so many years, and I would work on jumping higher, and I could get the backboard, and then I'd get the little orange box connecting the rim, and I was getting higher up on the net, right? And then at some point in my life, I just had to come to grips with reality. It was probably way later than it should have been. Like, it might have even been last week when I was thinking about this. I don't know, right? At some point, it hit me. Listen, if you see somebody out, and they go, did you know, did you hear that Jason got up there and, and just five slam a jammed one in the rim? If somebody tells you they saw me dunk a basketball, they're lying. Here's why. It's impossible. <laughs> I can't do it. I promise you. Right? It's just not going to be a story that's ever true because I cannot. Will you please take courage in your faith today to know that your God cannot lie to you because his good character demands that he wouldn't. Man, you want to go hope in what your financial success can bring to you? Man, that's, that's flighty. That's volatile. It's all over the place. You can be so stable and secure one day, and in, in, in a night, in an instant, all that can change. And you can go hope in that he would notice you or she would notice you. You can go hope in being part of the group that you've always wanted to be a part of. But you want to go put your hope in those things. Understand this. Those things are shifting and changing. We live in a world that's constantly shifting and changing. How much different does life look right now than you thought it would look three years ago? How many unexpected turns have you had, right? Even in your own self, how many times have you planned to take a certain path of obedience or faithfulness or discipline or whatever it may be and, and seen yourself fail and just go, no, I'm checking out on that. You can't even trust you, right? And there's a God out there who's perfect in nature, who says, I love you so much that I promise you good and I can not lie. God's good character is the only reliable foundation for your hope. Now quickly, there's many benefits of hope, but there's a couple that I want us to see in this passage. Verse 19 says, we have this, and when he says this there, you can kind of draw a line in your mind back to where he's talking about hope at the end of verse 18. We have this hope, he's saying. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A couple of Benefits that I can see there. I want you to hear. Uh, first of all, it says this hope that we have, this confident expectation of good that's based in the character of God. We have it as an anchor for our souls. In early Christianity, we know this from, from archaeological finds, right? The anchor was a, it was a pretty central symbol for the Christian faith, much more than we would ever imagine it to be, right? We use the cross all the time. There are anchors on tombs and in house walls, and, and maybe it was related back to this idea that God and the hope we have in him is an anchor for our souls. An anchor back in historic times was not uh, an anchor that, like we might think of, like my papa had the, the Navy anchor tattoo on his forearm, right? And it had the, the hooked up ends on the end, looked like it was going to grab into something. He also, by the way, had a hula girl over here. I'm not sure how mama felt about that, but that's a whole nother, right? You make decisions and you have to live with them, right? So anyways, right? But it, it didn't look like that. I don't know, my bad, right? But anyways, right? Like it, it wasn't that kind of anchor. It was just this huge, massive piece of rock or stone or sometimes even iron so big that it would most often take multiple people to lift this thing up out of the, the vessel they were in and throw it over 
And it didn't necessarily have to dig into anything. It was just this huge weight that accidentally or, or absolutely kept them stable, right? When you threw that big anchor and when you sweat and grunted and you tossed this thing over, you knew that weight is keeping me exactly where I am. And that's the idea that the writer chooses to tell you about how awesome hope can be for you in your life. Right? That many things may try to defeat you, that many things may call right, for you to, to put your head down and feel like God's not being good to you. But he says you have reason, proven reason from God. Have confident expectation. I wish you could watch my five-year-old, you would not believe how he can get zoned into a Lightning McQueen movie or show, right? He loves Pixar cars, right? He can be so zoned in. I mean, it's not, he's so into what Tomater is doing up there on the screen that, like, the dog can be barking and yipping around, right? One kid can be throwing a ball across the room. The other one can be calling his name, trying to do something fun with him, right? Like, all kind of stuff can be going on, and he can, he's just right here. He doesn't even know it's happening, Right? <laughs> Right, I used to think, like, he's just choosing not to listen to me. So now I'm like, I, don't, I think it's a scientific phenomenon. His ears turn off when lightning comes on the screen. I don't know, right, what happens, right? I'm here to say to you today that I believe that maybe that's a, a quirky, weird way my mind works picture of the hope that God has given us in Jesus. Right, that... That although there may be a lot of distractions and there may be a lot of defeat that's audible and we know it's around us, right? That hope would say, I see all of that. I'm aware of all of that. And yet the thing that's keeping me stable in my position, though I may trip a little bit, I'm still stable here in this place of confidently expecting good from God because he has given me that hope and he has proven it with his character, right? What would it be like for you to have that kind of stability in your life? Stability, not just life balance stability, not just, hey, I, I'm, I'm doing good in all the different areas, but, but the stability that would say, hey, no matter what phone call I get with bad news, hey, no matter what unexpected turn the workday takes today, hey, no matter how things shift with my plans, I hear it and I'm aware of it and I'm saddened by it and I'm going to have to deal with it, but also there's still this part of me that's just in tune in the, the belief that God is going to bring good to me. That's what he's doing. How would your life find stability in him? And you can have that stability because, as the verse tells us, Jesus has gone behind the curtain as a forerunner into the very presence of God after the order of Melchizedek, right? We're not going to unpack Melchizedek today. If you're a Bible student, you're like, okay, yeah, I, didn't, I was hoping we weren't going to spend that much time because we might be here a while, right? More questions than answers with this guy. You can read his story in Genesis. A lot of people believe probably rightly that it's a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus, Right? But here's what we do know about him for sure, is that he was a king, that he served as a priest, right? and that in some nature he's eternal forever, serving in that way. It says Jesus is that. A priest is somebody who relates to God on behalf of the people and relates to the people on behalf of God. And it says Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he has gone there behind the curtain right? that used to separate people from the, the manifest presence of God. That curtain's gone and Jesus is there. Right? And so you have now not just some kind of distant promise of good outcomes and good things. You have the presence of God with you. There's a promise of stability, but there's also this promise of fellowship. What if in all your fears you have a God who tells you that you have reason not to fear and to walk forward in faith, but also a God who understands your fear and would listen to everything you have to say? 
would that change how you walk into your fears? What if in every struggle you could be honest about that struggle and that you would be received by a God who loves to show mercy? He's not stingy with it. You have hope in Jesus for stability in your life that flows from knowing the presence of God. Is that where your hope is, follower of Jesus? Do you walk into life thinking, hey, this is, there's going to be good to come from this. Good is headed my way because God and his proven good character has promised it? Or do you walk into life thinking, yeah, it's going to go well because I worked hard, right? It's going to go well because, well, I'm well known amongst those. Where is your hope at, follower of Jesus? Today, what might it look like for you to pick your faith in Jesus back up, to pick your hope up again? Our God is not a God who would browbeat you into giving up in your hope. Our God is a God who would lift your head and encourage you to pick up your hope again. Hope fresh in you, in Jesus. Psalm 42. Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast within me? Why are you having turmoil within me? And he says to himself, hope in God. Today, some of us just need the reminder maybe that no, no matter how you've kind of checked out on that hope, you can pick it back up today. And have a father walk with you and bring stability to your life. You're here today and you don't know Jesus, right? You don't walk with God in, in a relationship of faith by trusting in Jesus only. If that's you, you're not the enemy today. We're so glad you're here. Listen, don't leave this place, even if you're not sure about that, don't leave this place without doing something with that, right? I'll be right down here. The service is over. You can come find me. I'd love to talk with you. I'm sure there's many other people who here who would as well, right? But have the conversation. What would it look like for my life to have hope? What would it look like for me to sit down my misplaced hopes and trust in Jesus? That's the question that reigns in our hearts. Those of us who don't know Jesus, it's the question that reigns in the hearts of us who do know Jesus. How would God lead us to respond? I'm going to pray that he would show us individually. Let's pray together. God, I am so prone to placing my hope in seven million different things. God, we are such a rich target for those distractions. God, there, there are new opportunities for our misplaced hope every second, it seems. Something else that we could put our trust in. Something else that we could expect good from. God, I pray that you would help us now. God, that you would help us to see where we've set our hopes on things that aren't you, where we've dug dry cisterns for ourselves instead of coming to you for life-giving nourishment that we need. Show us where that is in our lives, God, as individuals. And I pray that, that you would work in us by your Spirit in the way that only you can. You're so patient and yet persistent. God, would you... Continue to speak to us as we leave today and we walk into our lives. God, let us not just worship you with our mouths in this place, but I pray that you would lead us, whisper to us, call us, draw us, how we can put our hope in you. Remind us of the promises that we have in you. Remind us of the ultimate promise of good that we have because of Jesus. Draw us to live faithfully in you for your honor and our joy by flexing great hope in you.
Show us how, God. I'm trusting you to do that now in your people. Lead us, God, and let us give you praise and honor as we see a life of hope produce a lot of rich fruit in us. All for your glory, we pray it. Jesus, amen.